Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Jeff Campbell. For Dr. Campbell, preaching is the passion that drives all aspects of his ministry, and he is humbled and blessed that the Lord would allow him to preach the word and teach other preachers to do the same. Dr. Campbell is a two-time Criswell grad with a BA in Biblical Studies and an MA in Ministry. He also earned his PhD from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he majored in preaching and pastoral studies. Dr. Campbell has been married to his wife, Anna, for 29 years and has six children. Without further ado, Dr. Jeff Campbell. All right. Well, welcome to our second outdoor chapel of the semester. Amen. And here I am without the benefit of my professor dress. And I noticed a lot of you brought your blankets in, so I'm even more envious of you because of that. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, I wanted to just give thanks to Dr. Creamer for yesterday, also for the invitation to preach today, also Dr. Graham, also Dean Juarez, all these that kind of contacted me and said, would you like to come and would you come? And I do appreciate this opportunity. I'm going to be preaching today from Isaiah 6, so if you'd like to find your way there, uh, find your way to Isaiah 6, and we're going to see what God has for us there. And what, I try and what I'm trying to do is have kind of a part B or a second part to what Dr. Creamer did yesterday. Uh, yesterday, toward the end of the sermon, as he was bringing things together, what I took from it was the idea that our lives are of inestimable value, but it is best realized when we are operating or serving in the purpose that God has for us. As we follow the Lord in serving that purpose, that's when that value is most realized. So that's a great encouragement because God has a purpose for you. And hopefully that purpose is to be here, get your degree, graduate, go and serve where God wants you to serve. But what are you gonna do whenever things start to get tough, right? So I remember at the end of last semester, I heard more students than I have in recent past just talk about the grind of the semester, how tough things were, uh, what they were going through, getting those papers done and all that stuff. And so I am definitely aware of what you're going through. Uh, as a two-time graduate myself, I know that you're insanely busy for 16 weeks at a time, 15 weeks at a time, and then finals. And so my heart goes out to you. But that's a long way in my past, right? So I have, uh, I'm, I hit a big milestone this year. I'm 50 years old. So uh, that's a big one. Now, for some of you, that's not a big one. You've left that one in the mirror a long time ago. I get it. But for most of you, that's a long way in the future. And believe me, one time I sat where you sit, and it was a long way in the future for me. The benefit of being around a long time is you get to see a lot of stuff. You get to see a lot of things happen. But what you may not know about my life is for 29 years of my life, I didn't know the Lord. 
So I grew up in a home where my mother made sure that us kids went to church, but uh, it was kind of marginal. We were there on Sundays, and we were there on Wednesdays, and we went to vacation Bible school, and we did those things, but it was never pushed on us. We enjoyed going, and then somewhere along the way, she quit going, and so because she quit going, we quit going. I never saw my dad in church, and so I didn't grow up with a dad who went to church and led the family in that way. So I lived through my teen years and my 20s just not knowing the Lord. I would have said I was a Christian, and if you ever want to, you can swing by my office, and I've got a baptism certificate on my wall from when I was 10 years old and got baptized at Piney Grove Baptist Church in Louisville, Arkansas, where I'm from. And so, uh, but I didn't know the Lord. I could tell through my teens, through my 20s, never antagonistic, had friends in school that went to church and lived a Christian life, and I could tell something was different, but just wasn't for me. I didn't look down on them. I just said, that's great for you. That's not for me. But at 29 years old, God got a hold of me, and he called me into his kingdom. Shortly after that, called me into ministry. And I had a moment, I talked about this with a student in class yesterday, where I was enrolled in community college, and I was pursuing a degree, and I was going in the nursing field and wanted to get my master's degree and be a nurse anesthetist, and I had, had all these great plans, and they were great plans. But God had different plans, and I was sitting there listening to my teacher talk about the endocrine system and glands and secretions, which I love it. I'm down with it. I'm, I'm there for it. But on break, God spoke to me and said, this is not what I have for you. And that was strange for me. Because for me, it was audible, nobody else. And I got up and told my friends, I'm out of here. And they said, well, we'll see you next class. I said, no, I'm, I'm out of here. This is not what God wants for me. And then the next semester, I enrolled at Criswell College. And so I enrolled the semester before Dr. Creamer came here to be a professor. So I got to see him as a brand new professor, uh, serve as his grader. So God has done a lot of great things. And I've seen a lot of great things and seen what God can do through Criswell College. But I've seen a lot of things that disrupted, and uh, because we are finite and because we don't know all the answers, a lot of times things happen in life and it causes us unease and uncertainty. You know, I lived through 9-11, lived through the 80s, lived through the 90s, lived through 9-11. Some of you weren't born when 9-11 happened, but you've had your own 9-11. You've lived through COVID. You've seen something that kind of upsets things on a global scale. But then we have things that upset us in our life. A loved one passes. Uh, something changes. I had a student tell me yesterday that there was a semester where they had to not enroll in classes and work and get more money so they could come back and take classes. And those things happen. And sometimes we're just sitting there wondering what God's doing, what's happening. And so that's where we're going to come to this text today. Uh, this is a time of disruption in Judah, this is a time of unease and uncertainty. And I want to talk to you about this vision that Isaiah has, beginning in Isaiah 6, verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. 
And so, first of all, I want to establish with you the context of the vision. Talk to you a little bit because we jump into Isaiah 6 and we don't really know how we got there or what we're doing. We need to know where we are. So we're in the divided kingdom. So we're primarily discussing Judah in this passage, uh, Judah and Jerusalem throughout Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 1 through 5 gives what we would call an overview of God's accusations against Judah and Jerusalem. So God uses those two pictures, Judah and Jerusalem. The key ideas you would take from those chapters are ideas like the fact that they are a faithless nation, that they, there will be a faithful remnant, that there's going to be a future judgment, that God is going to judge them for their disobedience. Uh, he characterizes them as a bad vineyard. He has planted them, cultivated them, but the fruit they produce is not the fruit, fruit he desires. But then he also talks about a future renewal. So even in all that, there's a, a message of hope that comes, even in the first five chapters. And there are those who are alive during this day that don't know any king other than Uzziah. And so when you see here in the year that King Uzziah died, you might just run across that and keep going and not even take the time to worry about it. But in the scriptures, that is often devoid of detail. Anytime there is a detail, you need to dive into it and see exactly what's going on. Why would Isaiah make that? Is he just kind of centering this thing in a timeline? Well, he is. He wants you to know when these things are happening, but he wants you to know more than that. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about King Uzziah, all right? So with all the hoopla about citing things, and I want you to know that what I'm about to read to you is not mine. Okay, I got it somewhere else. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's reputable. And if you need to know, you can come find. But I don't want to get busted for plagiarizing anybody, okay? All right, King Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Judah from approximately 790 to 739 B.C. And the Bible said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so in the Scriptures, King Uzziah is shown as being wonderfully intelligent and innovative, uh, the state of Judah prospers under his reign. He was used by God to defeat the Philistines and the Arabs. He built fortified towers and strengthened the armies of Judah. And he commissioned skilled men to create devices that could shoot arrows and large stones at their enemies from the city walls. He built up the land, and the Bible says that he loved the soil. The Ammonites paid tribute to King Uzziah, and his fame spread all over the ancient world as far as the border wall of Egypt. Unfortunately, though, King Uzziah's fame and strength led him to become proud. This is a narrative we see over and over and over again in Scripture. And so let me just pause there for a moment. Uh, it's very, so how someone deals with adversity is an indicator of their character, but also how someone deals with success is an indicator of their character. And over and over again, you see these kings that begin to follow the Lord, and they are successful because of it. But for some reason, they start thinking, well, it's because of who I am, not because of who God is, not because God is blessing. And so this happens to Uzziah. This led to his downfall, and you can find this in Second Chronicles 26. He committed an unfaithful act when he entered the temple of God and burned incense on the altar. So he had 80 priests who went up against him and said, don't do this. But Uzziah became angry with the priests who dared confront him. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. From that day to the day of his death, King Uzziah was a leper. He lived in a separate palace and was not allowed to enter the temple of the Lord. So 
We have a king here that reigned for 52 years and many of those good years, but the last years, not so good. His pride finally got a hold of him. Temptation finally got a hold of him. And so when we enter our text today, we see a nation that is in turmoil. We see uh, people who have only known Uzziah. They have grown up under his leadership. They have enjoyed the benefits of that. And now we're in the year that he dies. And it's interesting that this is when Isaiah is called because the people do need a word from God. The people do need something from God in this time. And so uh, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. So imagine that if you would. You're a prophet, all of a sudden you have this vision, and I don't mean, you know, you ate tacos too late at night and had a bad dream. I mean, you had a vision from God, right? And what you see is you see God, a representation of God, sitting on his throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. So you see, if you look up God, where you would expect him to be in his transcendence, right? God Holy Yahweh. We don't even pronounce his name if we're Jewish. We won't even dare say his name. We won't even write out his name. That's how holy he is and set apart. And yes, he is those things. But look at the the train of his robe fills his temple. There's a connection there between transcendence and eminence. There's a connection between the creator and his creation. And what that vision shows him as he begins to have this vision is that God is still seated on his throne. Well, we just uh, had to bury Uzziah. His reign ended in significant damage for the, the, the country, and he was disgraced before the people. And yes, we had a great burning for him, and we celebrated the good days, but we know that he didn't end well. What are we going to do now? Well, Isaiah has this vision that God is still seated on his throne, and in times of unease and uncertainty, that's exactly what we need. So the vision was a communication to Isaiah of things. It's what he saw, this connection between heaven and earth. But then we also see seraphim, each one having six wings, covering their face, covering their feet, flying. And what do they say? They cry to each other and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, set apart, sanctified, other, different, transcendent, 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 different, 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 other, 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 not like me, not like me, not like me. This is what they're crying out. They're focusing on the fact that God is different. A lot of times we have this view of God being this loving and affable grandpa that we run up and get in his lap and he gives us a Werther's original and we can sit there and just hear stories. And it's not that God doesn't act in that way sometimes as we can approach him and be comforted, but he is also transcendent and other. And Isaiah doesn't lose sight of this, that within God's creation, things unfold according to his plan. It didn't surprise God that King Uzziah died. Remember yesterday, Dr. Creamer said, well, the days of David's life are written in a book and you've given me the days that I'm going to have and I want to spend those days serving you. Well, the same is true for Isaiah, the same is true for Uzziah, the same is true for you and me. And so God knew Uzziah would die. And so holiness is a focus and glory is a focus. Reputation, the whole earth is full of God's glory. In these verses, what we see 
is that the posts of the door shaken, the voice of him who cried out, the house filled with smoke, all this idea of what he saw, what he heard. God wants Isaiah to look past Uzziah and see the real king, the everlasting king, the incorruptible king, the king that will never fail, the king that will never step out of his rightful place, because that's what Uzziah did. He's not a priest. It's not his job to burn incense. He's a king. It's his job to rule the people in God's name. He stepped out of his place, and he was punished for it. Well, Isaiah sees this vision, and this is the context that we find it in. But there's also something that needs to happen to Isaiah here. Isaiah is not quite ready for what God's going to ask. Something needs to change in his life, and that's where we pick up in verse 5. So I said, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the vision, and I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So here's the idea. There's a comparison that's made here that's inferred from the fact that Isaiah just had this vision. Now, I don't know what Isaiah thought about himself before he had the vision. He probably thought what most of us think before we actually see God for the first time, when we actually realize who he is and what he expects. He probably thought he was a pretty good guy. I mean, I thought I was a pretty good guy. At 29 years old, before I became a believer, if you would have pulled me aside and said, hey, Jeff, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I would have said, yeah, I think I will. I'm a good guy. I'm kind to some people. I pay all my bills. I don't treat my wife poorly. I'm a responsible person. I help people when I can. And I would have listed all these things that I'm doing, and I would be comparing myself to what? Those around me. Yeah, I'm better than my neighbor over there. I'm better than this neighbor over here. I see what he does. I see what they do. I see what's going on. And, and that's where we live before we know the Lord. We compare all day, every day to those around us. And here's a secret. As believers, sometimes we still do that. But our comparison is not to other believers. If we're going to compare ourselves with someone, we need to see the holiness and the glory of God. We need to ask ourselves, how do we stack up to the king of all creation, of eternity, who is incorruptible, who has never and will never fail? How do we stack up to him? And that's what Isaiah realizes when he sees this vision and he understands who God is. That's when he says, I'm undone. That's when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah's reaction is all about this comparison because... God wants us to make comparisons, or rather, he wants us to make a specific comparison. And that comparison is, how do you stack up to me? If we're supposed to be holy as God is holy, and we understand the scriptures, and we get a vision of who God is, then we can get a better vision of who we are. If we're looking to the left and to the right, it's very easy for us to say, I'm better than those people. But if we look to God, we'll never be able to say, I'm better than he is. We'll always be brought to this place where we are brought low and say, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, 
He realizes where he dwells in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It is not without merit that Judah and Jerusalem is bankrupt at this moment, that God has something he needs to say to them. God has a message he needs to send to them. But look what he says. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I realize now because I've seen who God actually is. And so there needs to be a change. And so this is the imagery of the seraphim flying towards him and having a live coal and a set of tongs. And he basically touches it to his lips to cleanse him by fire, so to speak. And so the live coal, the lips, this prophetic office, it makes sense because what? Isaiah claims the uncleanness of his lip as that which he needs to repent of. It would make sense that if God wants to call a prophet and have him be the mouthpiece, that the mouthpiece needs to be cleansed. This is the imagery. But make no mistake, this is a whole being cleansing that he experiences. It's an understanding that he experiences. It's a repentance that he experiences. In verse 8, we see that God needs a messenger, and it's only now that Isaiah is qualified. And it's not because of Isaiah's work, it's because of God's work. The qualifying of the called, not the calling of the qualified, right? When God called me into ministry, I wasn't qualified. There was a lot of things that I needed to do, a lot of growth that needed to happen, a lot of maturity, and it's still happening. It hasn't stopped. I have not attained, as Paul would say, but I strive forward, and you do too. So you're here today because God's called you to do something, and God's in the process of qualifying you for that calling. And sometimes that process can also be painful. Sometimes it means memorizing paradigms and taking more quizzes than you want to, and I can't believe that prof wants me to write a 15-page paper. Sometimes it's more than that. But you're here to be corrected. You're here to be shaped for what God wants you to do. And then many people stop there, right? So this is a great thing to preach at a youth rally and say, now who wants to be involved in ministry? You know, look at what he says here. Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And then he said, here am I, send me. Look, little Isaiah, here I am. I'm down here. Do you see me? I'm willing to go. I'm ready to go. But what's the message? We would love for God to call us and say, now I want to send you to a magnificent, successful ministry that will completely dwarf anything and everything that anybody's ever done you will be god's gift to that elementary school you will be god's gift to that counseling practice you will be god's gift to that church or that mission organization you will be god's gift to public policy and maybe you will be those things but more than likely you'll struggle but here's the good news you won't struggle by yourself God's right there, right? The train of his robe fills the temple. There's, there's this vision that's going on, but what's the content of the message? Well, verse 9, he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. You're going to make the heart of the people dull, and their ears are going to be heavy. They're going to shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears, 
with their eyes, rather, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. And then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the critics, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be the stump. So the content of the message is simple. I'm going to send you Isaiah. You're going to go. You're going to speak to Judah and Jerusalem. You're going to cry out to them. You're going to tell them. You're going to say all those things in those first five chapters, and we see that all play out in the next several chapters. But they're not going to hear. They're not going to see. And eventually they will be judged because they lack repentance. See, in this sense, they are the opposite of Isaiah. Isaiah gets the vision, and he repents, and he's cleansed, and he's usable, and God can send him now, but God's going to send him with a message, and he tells him up front, this is going to be a challenge for you, because they're not going to listen. They're going to hear, but they won't hear. They're going to see, but they don't really see. You're telling them, and they're saying, yep, 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 I get it, but nothing changes. No understanding, no perception. Their hearts become dull, their ears heavy, and eventually they shut their eyes and just quit listening. Now this was where he found himself, but is this much different than where we find ourselves in our culture? The people we love that need to hear the gospel. The people we love that need to hear about Christ, who we try to influence. And God is calling us and saying, hey, who can I send? And we're all saying, hey, here we are. Send us where you want us to be. Give us the message you want us to speak. And he's given us his gospel. But ears are not hearing and eyes are not seeing. And people are becoming duller and duller to the things of God. But God can do what God wants to do. Verse 11, he says, how long? Now, I live in Kaufman, which is about 40 minutes from here. We were privileged before things got crazy several years ago to buy two acres of land. And on these two acres of land, there were 13 oak trees, 13 mature oak trees. So I met the lady who built the house and 12 of those oak trees, so a dozen oak trees, were planted in a square in the front of the house. Okay, so it's too symmetrical not to be done by someone, and you could tell it was done by someone. So the lady who built the house one day stopped by and told us the story of how they built the house back in 1970, right, 53 years ago, and they planted those trees. And their intent was to live there as a brand-new married couple, but shortly after they built that house, her mother got sick, and this land that it sits on was gifted to them by her mom and dad, so they just simply moved where her mother lived, which is just a few miles away, but they sold that house. So the house they built to live in, they sold it, they had planted those trees, but those trees continued to grow, and we got the benefit of that when we moved in there. So huge, fully mature live oak trees, great in the summertime for the shade, helping out with the heat, all that good stuff. You remember a few years back, what's it been, three years maybe now, four years, when we had that really bad 
deep winter freeze where it was like 16 degrees for like 10 days. The biggest tree that we had, number 13, the hugest tree, it was there when they planted the others. We lost it in that storm. It basically got so heavy with ice that it split in two and fell over. And I was sick. I, I had to call the tree guys to come and they cut it up and took it away. And that was like a huge focal point of the yard. And it was sickening. I, I was so sickened by it, I had them grind the stump down under the ground so I couldn't see it. And I covered it up like it had never happened. I didn't even want to know it was there. That's how sick I was. I put the kids trampoline over there so I couldn't focus on it, right? Well, last year, we lost a couple more trees. Now, these trees have been struggling for a little bit. And the cold snap from last year, not this year, last year in the early part of the year, got them. Had to have them cut down as well, but I left the stumps. Why did I leave the stumps? I don't know. Didn't have as much money, maybe. Didn't want to mess with it. But you know what will happen at that stump if you leave it just as it is, as long as the roots are otherwise healthy? What will happen is, is there will be a sprout that comes out of the middle of it. And that root system will produce new growth. And there will be one day for future generations a new tree there that someone else can enjoy that's hopefully healthy and will do the things that trees are supposed to do, you know, exchange the, you know, carbon dioxide for oxygen and all that good stuff. Ninth grade science, right? Well, we've yet to see the sprout yet, but this is one of the images that God uses when he speaks to Isaiah here, this idea of a, a stump or a remnant of the people God pronounces judgment on his people many times in the Old Testament, but never total judgment, never complete judgment. God always realizes that there is a group there that will do and is doing what he's calling them to do, of which Isaiah is one of those. Isaiah is part of Judah. And so the way God says is, hey, how long do I go and tell them these things? How long before you're going to do something different? And the Lord responds, until the cities are laid waste. Till the houses are without a man, until the land is utterly desolate, and the Lord has removed men far away in the forsaken places, but yet a tent or a remnant, this is symbolic of a remnant, will be in it and will return. They will be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be the stump. So the whole nation will be the tree, and it will be for consuming, and it will be cut down, but there will be a stump, and there will be a seed, and there will be a sprout, and those people will be the ones who continue to follow the Lord. This is something we see throughout the Old Testament. And so as we bring these things together, and we think through what God is doing, he's giving this message, and he's doing it for one primary purpose, so that Isaiah has the right focus to go with the message. I think a lot of times we get distracted by what's going on. Uh, it's an election year, and I don't know if you prefer donkeys or elephants, and it really doesn't matter. But whoever is getting in there next is going to be there for a limited amount of time. We're not going to see a 52-year king like Uzziah, but we have some uncertainty in your own life. You have some things that maybe you're concerned about. 
you're wondering what is God doing and how is God moving, I want to give you a few points of application and then I'm finished. The first question I want to ask you is how is your stability? When you think about your life, are there areas of your life where there is a certain amount of unease? Perhaps that unease is there, put there by the Lord. Perhaps the Lord is doing something in that area. That's fantastic. But perhaps the Lord is not doing that, and perhaps what's going on is that you've begun to trust in something other than the fact that God still sits on His throne. That you've begun to put your faith in your family, your spouse, the economy, this country, this world, your group, your whatever. But that's not where your faith needs to be. You need that vision of God just like Isaiah needs that vision of God that no matter what's happening here, God is on his throne and he is working things out. Now, that's a beautiful image. God sitting on a throne and his robe filling the temple. But you know what's a more beautiful image? God and man joined together. You talk about the connection between transcendence and eminence. You talk about the divine. You talk about what we have going here. Those connections. Christ is that strongest connection. And you know him. If you know Jesus, you're going to be okay. Whatever is going on in life, whatever uncertainties you face, keep the vision in mind that the Son of God came, lived a perfect life, and died for you, that he was raised from the dead, and that through his resurrection you now have eternal life, not sometime in the future, but today. And what are you supposed to do with that life? Live it in service of the Lord. Be one who serves him. Let me ask you this, how are your lips... You see, Isaiah had to be cleansed before he could function. What needs to change in your life so that you might be better used by God? Is there anything that you would look at and say, if I could get a hold of this or get victory over this or change this or if God would work in this area, I could do more for him? How about praying for that? If it's a point of repentance, repent. Move back toward the Lord. If you feel far from God today, he has not moved. All you have to do is stop and turn around. And lastly, even in the midst of God's judgment, here in this text, there is a glimmer of grace. God's anger does not preclude his mercy. God still wants to be merciful and forgiving. Yes, his anger is aroused when nations and peoples and his people do things they're not supposed to do that doesn't mean he quits loving us it doesn't mean he won't forgive us but we have to be willing to go to him and ask him for that and so as we go into this semester i would encourage you you may not be feeling it today but there's going to come a time in this semester where you begin to struggle in some way when you do begin to struggle in that way, I want you to stop and think of the vision that Isaiah had. I want you to see God seated on his throne. I want you to see the train of his robe filling the temple, connecting him with transcendence and eminence and all these different things. I want you to understand that he has not forsaken you, that he is still preparing for you. But I also want you to ask yourself, 
is part of this struggle mine to bear? Am I the cause? Is there something I need to repent of? That uneasiness, that uncertainty is often something that shows us that we need to change. And once you've done all that, I want you to rest easy. Because though you may be uneasy, though you may be uncertain, Christ is certain. So keep the correct vision. Let's pray together. Father, I love you and I thank you for today. Thank you for these students, faculty and staff. Lord, I pray your blessings upon them. I pray that, Lord, we would keep the right perspective, keep the right vision, always understanding that the things that are happening in our life are part of your plan, that while we may be uncertain, you are certain. When we don't know, you do. When we can't, you can. All these things that we see over and over again in Scripture, when you called Isaiah, you qualified him to do what you called him to do. Lord, help us to be conformed into the image of your Son, to be more like Christ, to serve you more. Lord, bless us. Thank you for all the good things you're doing in our life. I ask these things in the name above all names, the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.